to see everybody this evening. It's good to be here. Good to see some sunshine too. I told Robin once that sun came, it didn't come out till about five o'clock. I said it'll probably grow. The grass will grow a half inch before sunset. <laughs> this rain, all this rain. All right, tonight's prayer meeting, and I thought we'd look at a passage of uh, scripture tonight that that has to do with a prayer meeting, or maybe you might call it a prayer vigil because it's a little bit longer than than the meeting we'll have tonight. But let's start uh, by going to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for allowing us to be in your house. We thank you, Lord, for giving us the desire to be here. We thank you for giving us the privilege to be here and the health and strength uh, to be here in your house with fellow believers. We pray, Lord, that uh, as we open your word tonight, that you'd open our hearts to receive it. Pray that you teach us from it, that uh, there might be things we could learn to be more effective servants. Father, we worship you tonight. We glorify you because you alone are worthy of all glory and honor and praise. And we thank you for all the blessings you've given us. And so now as we enter into this service, Father, we just ask the Holy Spirit to be uh, free among us, to move among us, to teach us the things that we need to hear. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you've got your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 12. And we're going to be looking at uh, some verses there in a little bit. But... As I said, it's a prayer meeting, and in a prayer meeting, what we think about, of course, prayers ought to have um, an aspect of worship and adoration, praise to the Lord. It ought to have an aspect of thanksgiving, it ought to have an aspect of, uh, of interceding for other people and asking the Lord to, get to, uh, to meet the needs of other people. We do that here. It ought to, prayer, our prayers ought to have uh, an element of confessing sin before the Lord because there's, there's always that present in our lives. And then we think about our prayers, and this is what way too many people think about all the time, is prayer is just asking God for something. Well, I want something. I want something. It's kind of like having uh, your two-year-old grandchild around. That just They're always wanting something. Got their little hand out and that sort of thing. I want some candy or I want this or that. And, of course, as Christians, we don't want our, our prayers to divulge to that level, obviously. But it is about asking God for things, isn't it? And I want to read something to you that I found, and I don't remember where I found this. But it's a story that uh, goes back to uh, the time of Alexander the Great. You may have heard this before. It said, among those in the court of Alexander the Great was a philosopher of outstanding ability but little money. Which is probably not unusual for philosophers. They don't usually have a lot of money, do they? He asked Alexander for financial help and was told to draw whatever he needed from the imperial treasury. But when the man requested an amount equal to $50,000, he was refused, the treasurer needing to verify that such a large sum was authorized. So when the treasurer went and asked Alexander, the ruler replied this. He said, pay the money at once. The philosopher has done me a singular honor. By the largeness of his request, he has shown that he has understood both my wealth and my generosity. When we go to the Lord with our requests, even if we give him what seemed like huge requests, I can't help but believe he sits there and he says, yeah, I'm going to answer that question because my children have recognized who I am. They've recognized my authority. They've recognized my power. They've recognized my wealth. And they've recognized my generosity, just like Alexander the Great did. I want to read you a few verses, you don't have to turn to these, that, that have some aspect of prayer in them. Jeremiah 33, verse 3 says, Call unto me, and I will answer thee, and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. God says, Call. Just call on me. And I'm, I'm going to show you things you'd never thought about before. I'm going to show you things that you could never have imagined. 
Ephesians 3.20 refers to God as He that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. It's one thing to, if God promises to give us abundantly above what we ask, but even abundantly above what we think, we got good imaginations, don't we? Imagine all the things you could ask for, and God says, I can give you a whole lot more than you ever thought about asking for. Isn't that great to know that we serve a God like that? 1 Thessalonians 5.17, we probably all know this verse, three words, pray without what? Ceasing. Pray all the time. God says pray all the time. Don't, don't give up. Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we, may find, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I like those action words in there. Come boldly so that you can obtain from God. He says, come on. Don't, don't hold back. If there's something you want to talk to me about, come talk to me about it. I'm sure that anyone here who's ever been a parent, you, you want your kids to come and talk to you about it. If, if you've got grandkids, nieces, nephews, if you're a Sunday school teacher, wouldn't, don't you want your students to come talk to you about stuff? Well, God wants us as His children to come talk to Him. And then in Ephesians 6.18, we're told praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. Pray always. So God gives us these, these instructions. When things come into your life, pray about them. I'm here to listen. Bring them to me because I care. So he's invited our prayers. And we know that he always hears those prayers. And we know that he always delights in answering those prayers. We also know, <clears throat> if you've been saved for a long time, you also know that uh, God's answers may not always be what you want to hear. But we have the assurance they're always what's best for us. And I've heard way too many people over the years, Christian people who should know better, they'll pray about something and I'll say, the Lord didn't answer my prayers. I beg to differ. He did answer your prayers. There's three perfectly good answers to any prayer. Yes, I will give you what you ask for. No, I will not give you what you ask for because it's not best for you. Or not right now. Come back later. Keep asking for it. Maybe it'll be the right thing for you at some point, but it's not right now. So he, he may not give us what we want, but he always gives what's best. So tonight we're going to look at a prayer meeting, or as I said, a, a prayer vigil, and we're going to learn some things from it, I think, or I hope we will. So you're in Acts chapter 12, I'm going to start reading in verse 1. It says, Now about that time, Herod the king stretched forth his hands to vex certain of the church, and he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And because he saw it please the Jews, he proceeded further to take Peter also. Then were the days of unleavened bread. This is, this is the time of the Passover. Verse 4, And when he had apprehended him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four quaternions of soldiers to keep him, intending after Easter to bring him forth to the people. Peter therefore was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. And when Herod would have brought him forth, the same night Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and the keepers before the door kept the prison. And behold, the angel of the Lord came upon him, and a light shined in the prison. And he smote Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise up quickly. And his chains fell off from his hands. I'm going to tell you what. When some, there's some passages of Scripture you can read. You can get tied up in the genealogies in the Old Testament, you can, always, you can feel your eyelids getting heavy and your head wanting to nod. When you read verses like this and you see the Lord work, it almost makes you a little tingle up your spine, doesn't it? Because we're seeing things here we don't see often. 
And we have to remind ourselves sometimes that this, as Peter said, we're not looking at cunningly devised fables here. We're looking at events that happen to real people. And, and sometimes I think it's, it's helpful if we stop and think, what if that had happened to me? How in the world would I have reacted? Well, we might have reacted the way we're going to see Peter do. So verse 7, And behold, the angel of the Lord came upon him, and a light shined in the prison, and he smote Peter on their side and raised him up, saying, Arise up quickly, and his chains fell off from his hands. And the angel said unto him, Gird thyself, bind on thy sandals. And so he did. And he said unto him, Cast thy garment about thee, and follow me. And he went out and followed him. And here's where, here's where I think it, it might describe the way I would have been. And Peter wist not that it was true, which was done by the angel, but thought he saw a vision. Like this can't be, this is too good to be true. Verse 10, when they were past the first and second ward, they came into the iron gate that leadeth into the city, which opened to them of his own accord. I like that too. And they went out and passed on through one street, and forthwith the angel departed from him. And when Peter was come to himself, he said, Now of a surety, now I know of a surety, that the Lord hath sent his angel and hath delivered me out of the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the people of the Jews. And when he considered the thing, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. And as Peter knocked at the door of the gate, a damsel came to hearken named Rhoda. And when she knew Peter's voice, she opened not the gate for gladness, but ran in and told how Peter stood before the gate. And they said unto her, Thou art mad. But she constantly affirmed that it was even so. Then said they, It's his angel. But Peter continued knocking, and when they had opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. But he, beckoning unto them with the hand to hold their peace, declared unto them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, Go show these things unto James. This is, uh, this is the other James. This is the James, the half-brother of, of the Lord, who was at that point a, a leader in the church. He said, Go show these things unto James and to the brethren. And he departed and went into another place. So, I want us to see some things of interest in these 17 verses of Acts 12. The first thing I want us to notice is there was a need for prayer. It was a very serious need. The church, according to verse 1, was it had fallen under government persecution. King Herod, this was uh, Herod Agrippa I, I believe. Yeah, this was Herod Agrippa I. He was a great-grandson of Herod the Great, the, the Herod of uh, the time when Jesus was born. He... Um, he had had James executed, the Apostle James. And we're told that, uh, well, just as a reference, this was the first of the Apostles to die, that is, other than Judas. We, we, know, we know that Judas committed suicide. It's the only one of the Apostles other than Judas that the Bible actually tells that he died. The others, we know that Paul was facing execution, but Scripture doesn't tell us anywhere that he was killed or that his life was gone. James is the only one that, that we're actually told that he died. And Along with Peter and uh, John, James comprised this, the, the group of the three closest apostles to the Lord. If you read through the, the gospel accounts, you see that they were, they were somewhat closer. They were prominent. And we don't know why. Uh, why are some people closer to the Lord? Maybe they wanted to spend more time with Him. Maybe uh, they just felt a, there was some kind of a closeness. But He was one of them. Jesus called Him along with His brother John. You remember what He called Him? A son of thunder. Uh, they were they were kind of short-tempered, it would seem, from the gospel accounts. And maybe they were a little more boisterous. Maybe they were a little more um, extroverted, so to speak. Maybe they were more outspoken uh, than some of the other apostles. But I think 
being that, that being the case, maybe they would have been the natural targets for Herod. If he was trying to attack the church, maybe he was going after the most vocal of the leaders. And so he, he, found, he, he took James, he had him killed. And then we see in verse 3 that it pleased the Jews. Herod was trying to please the Jews. He was trying to make them happy. He was trying to appease them because that made his job, his life easier as, as their leader. And so he says uh, he picked another target. Now remember, these were hardened fishermen. James, John, Peter, all of them, they were hardened fishermen. And the Lord said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. You can go out and you can catch men. Well now, two of these men had been become targets of Herod. He was trying to catch them. The tables had turned a little bit. Herod thought he was going to end the church because he would take out the leaders. I think one thing that Herod failed to notice or recognize was James wasn't the head of the church. Peter wasn't the head of the church. Jesus Christ was the head of the church. And he had promised, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Herod, you can try what you will. You're not going to destroy my church. But he had appreh- we're told in verses 3 and 4 that Peter had been apprehended. The idea there is he'd been hunted. He'd been tracked down. He'd been found and he'd been arrested. He'd been thrown into a, a jail cell or a dungeon, if you will. And it's very likely uh, from the context that he was waiting awaiting execution, just as, as James had been. And we're told that he was guarded by 16 soldiers. That's a lot of soldiers for one apostle, isn't it? Peter must have, uh, he must have had quite a reputation if it was going to take 16 uh, soldiers to guard him. But anyway, it was Passover season. That was a sacred time for the Jews and the Christians. And so apparently Agrippa was thinking, hmm, I know the Jews would like me to kill somebody, but if I try to do it during their holy season of Passover, that's probably going to backfire on me. So we won't do that. We'll just we'll just tuck him away in a jail cell. We'll wait till all the Passover celebrations are over. Then we'll take we'll get down to business. So there we have a need for prayer. The church was being persecuted. One of its leaders had been uh, martyred. Another one had been arrested. There was a very 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 serious need for prayer. The second thing we we see here in this chapter is that there was prayer for that need. There was, which is, it's only natural for us as Christians, isn't it? When we see a need, we should want to pray about it. Verse 5 says, But prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. And verse 12 goes further and says, Many were gathered together praying. So who was it that prayed? It was the church. And not only the church, it was many people of the church had gathered together and they were praying for Peter. Which was the next question I have. To, well, it'll, it'll come a little later. To whom were they praying? We're told in verse 5, they prayed to God. It's only natural, isn't it? But one thing we don't see here, we don't see the church getting together and putting together protest signs. We don't see anybody marching on Herod's palace demanding that he release Peter. We don't see any kind of that, that kind of thing that we see so often in among Christians today, we want to argue about stuff. We want to get together a protest and do this and that. They said, no, we're not going to do that. We want to pray because that's far more effective than anything we could do with Herod. He's not going to listen to us anyway. And so they, they prayed. What was it they were praying for? They were praying for him, we're told here in these verses. They were praying for Peter. What do you think they were praying for? I think maybe they were praying for his deliverance. I think maybe they were praying for his protection because even in that in that uh, dungeon they could be praying that he wouldn't be harmed that uh, he would uh, be treated well I think maybe they were praying that he might have some level of comfort 
Maybe that he would have some level of peace. They could be praying for that. And I think that it, uh, I think it doesn't uh, press the matter too much. doesn't require too much imagination that they might have been praying that the Lord would give them an opportunity to witness. That he would give uh, Peter the opportunity to share the gospel. He had 16 soldiers at his disposal. They thought they were guarding him. They had been assigned to be witness to, don't you think? Because what do we find out about Peter in the Gospels more than anything else? He was, uh, he was quick to speak, wasn't he? He was impulsive sometimes. He was, he was the one who was going to open his mouth sometimes before he thought about it. And so I'm, he's got 16 captive members of an audience here that have to listen to him. Plus whatever uh, gatekeepers there might have been in the, in the dungeon there. So I'm, I'm sure these people were praying that, Lord, keep him safe, but let him witness while he's there. Maybe some good will come out of this after all. Why would they have prayed something like that? Why? 1 Corinthians 12 tells us this. It says of the body of Christ, when one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. That's why we pray for people, isn't it? These, these folks had suffered when James had been taken prisoner, when James had been executed, martyred. They suffered with that. Now that Peter has been arrested, they're suffering with him too. And so they're, they're praying for him. That's why they did it. How did they pray? Verse 5 says, without ceasing. They didn't quit. That literally has the idea of, of praying intensely or earnestly. They, they were just, they were into it. Lord, please. We, we don't want to lose Peter. We've lost James. We want him. We want him to be among us. We want him to work among us. We want to rely on him. We love him. So how do they pray? They pray without ceasing. How long? The passage doesn't tell us, but I'm, I'm guessing it was probably somewhere at least a week because Herod had said, I'll, I'll bring him after Easter. Well, this was the week of Passover, the week leading up to Easter. And so he's, it maybe as much as a week, maybe a little bit more. That's a little bit longer attention span than a lot of Christians have, don't they, when it comes to prayer. Sometimes, uh, and I have to admit to having been guilty of this too, someone asks you to pray for them, you might pray once and then you forget it. You get moved off to something else and and you've, you've lost that. Not these folks. They're praying day after day after day. And as we're going to see, it, uh, they were praying into the night. And so um, there was a need for prayer. They recognized it. There was prayer for that need. And then the next thing that we look at is God's answer to their prayers. Verses 6 through 10 show us Peter was miraculously delivered by the Lord through the agencies of an angel. Miraculously. That's the only way we can, we can say it. The, the events, those, those don't happen every day, do they? That's what we read a few minutes ago. And I want you to note something. It says he was sleeping between two guards. You know, one of the things we, we think about when they're praying for him is that maybe the Lord will give him comfort. Maybe he'll give him peace. Well, Peter's asleep. And Peter must... I'm sure that he had to know he's been arrested soon after James was executed. It's got to be running through Peter's mind. You know, my my time could be coming. My my days on earth may be limited. And yet here he is asleep. And not only was he asleep, what did did we read when the angel woke him up? He nudged him, had to kind of nudge him good to wake him up. And then what did he say? He said, Peter, uh, gird yourself up and put your shoes on. Peter not only was asleep, he'd gotten comfortable. He kicked his shoes off. He took his coat off. Man, he was, he was in the zone as far as sleeping. And the angel said, you got to pull yourself together, Peter. we got to get out of here. 
And so he was, he was very much at peace. How could that happen? I think it's because Peter knew the Lord who had been described by Isaiah at this way. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Everlasting Father, or the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and what's the rest of that verse? The Prince of Peace. I'll tell you what, if we have a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, it brings us what Paul described as the peace of God that passes all understanding. And I think Peter had, had tapped into that peace there as he was sleeping. We're told in verse 6, the angel came uh, just in time because Herod wanted him the next day. He wanted him to be brought, uh, assuming, we'll have to assume that he was being wanted to, to be brought out for trial. Now we have to know, God doesn't always work in miraculous ways this, like this. We, we can't expect when we find ourselves in, in some kind of serious trouble that God's going to have chains dropping off our, our uh, hands or feet, angels showing up to lead us through uh, locked doors, gates opening of their own accord. That, that doesn't always work. But what we can say, God does always answer, doesn't He? It might not be in a miraculous way. It might be no, normal means as it's often referred to. But he can work that way, can he? I want to read you something Chuck Swindoll said in his commentary on the book of Acts. He said, we live in a natural world, guided by natural laws. Yet we serve a God who can, and sometimes does, overrule the laws of nature. We serve a God who can do that. They're his laws. He can, he can rearrange them any way he wants, can he? And so he can heal miraculously. He can deliver us in miraculous ways if he chooses to. But in any case, we can, we can experience the peace of God that passes all understanding, can't we? We can do that because we have that relationship with the Lord. So what we've seen so far, we've seen a, a need for prayer. We've seen prayer for that need. We've seen God's answer. Now let's take a look at the church's reaction to that answer. Many of them were still gathered for prayer, we're told in verse 12, at Mary's house. Mary was... John Mark's mother, John Mark, we know is the uh, he's he was the author of the Gospel of Mark. He was uh, he was a young man that had worked with Paul. He spent a lot of time, we're told, with Peter as well uh, in in the the early church in those days. And he says, for some reason, Peter seems to have known to go to Mary's house. Maybe that's where the church regularly met. Maybe they had a habit if there was a, a serious prayer need. Maybe Mary had opened her house and said, "Come on over here. We can we can pray here. We've got plenty of room." We got some. We got some food if we need it because we're going to be praying a long time. We're not going to give up. But in, in any case, Peter knew to go there. James five sixteen says the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Well, what we saw here is the fervent effectual prayer of a lot of people, not just one man. This is the, we're told that there were many people gathered for prayer here. The sad part is. They didn't believe that Peter was outside when the servant girl came. He comes up. He, he's, he's, at first he thought, this is a dream. I, there's no way I could be out of this prison this easily. So he, he goes to Mary's house. He knocks at the gate. The servant girl comes and uh, she hears his voice. She doesn't open the door. She doesn't actually see him. She just hears his voice and says, whoa, Peter's here. So she runs in and tells everybody. Peter's outside. They're like, and their response, remember what it was? You're mad. Girl, you're crazy. He's not, he's not here. They've been praying for him. They've been praying, no doubt, that the Lord would deliver him if possible. But their assumption was, in verse 15, that he was already dead. 
and that it was his angel or maybe his spirit that had come and she had heard that somehow or another. It, it seems awfully superstitious for a group of Christians, doesn't it? But I don't know exactly what drove that thought, but the sad part is they didn't believe Peter could possibly be free at this point. And we're told that when they finally believed and they went to the gate, opened it and saw Peter, that they were astonished. That's, that's even sadder, isn't it? They were astonished when they finally saw him. Astonished over prayers. Now, I want to read you a story. Uh, I shared this with Gary a couple of weeks ago at homecoming. And I, I get the feeling, I don't remember where I read this story, by the way, but I get the feeling that maybe it came from the old country, maybe in England. Uh, it, the way it's written, it almost sounds like it would have been maybe in the late 19th century, early 20th century, but supposedly it's a true story. We'll see. It says, a small historically dry town had a local businessman who decided to build a tavern. A group of Christians from a local church were concerned and planned an all-night prayer meeting to ask God to intervene. It just so happened that shortly thereafter, lightning struck the bar and it burned to the ground. The owner of the bar sued the church, claiming that the prayers of the congregation were responsible. But the church hired a lawyer to argue in court that they were not responsible. The presiding judge, after his initial review of the case, stated that no matter how this case comes out, one thing's clear. The tavern owner believes in prayer, and the Christians don't. Now, isn't that not a sad commentary? It's kind of like what you see here. These people have been praying so long for Peter, for days. And he shows up and they're astonished. Oh, wow, how could that be? It's kind of an overall sad commentary. But it's a great testimony to what our God's able to do, isn't it? He's able to deliver. He's able to answer in prayer. It clearly demonstrates what we read earlier, that he is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we could ask or think. They had been praying, no doubt, for Peter's comfort, for his protection, maybe for his deliverance. God gave, he gave an overabundant answer to that because I'm sure nobody there would have dreamed to pray, Lord, just let the chains fall off his hands. Let an angel come and, and nudge him in the side and tell him to put his shoes and his coat on so he can go. Lord, let the gates open all by themselves so he can walk right out. Past 16 soldiers, past the keepers of the gate. No one would have thought to pray for that, or I wouldn't have. I wanted to thought, Lord, keep him safe. Please work uh, to get him, get him to, uh, released. But anyway, God demonstrated that he was able to answer prayer. So we see there was a need for the prayer, there was a prayer for the need, there was God's answer, and then we had the church's reaction to the prayer, to, the, to, the, to God's answer. The last thing we look at is Peter's reaction to the answer to the prayer. In verse 9, uh, his first thought was, it's a dream. Answers to prayers can be that way, though, can't they sometimes? You ever have a, the Lord answer a prayer and you think, I never saw that coming. I have done it before. I've, I've had problems at work. <coughs> Seriously, problems that... I thought, I have no way, I have no idea how to get how to get this resolved. I've got people breathing down my neck, I've got this happening, that's happening. And and just pray about it and trust the Lord. Say, Lord, I can't fix it. I've gone into work the next day and just unbelievable things happen and the problems just start disappearing in ways I could never have imagined. The, the ways that I would never even thought to pray for. That's the way that our God works. It's 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 like it's a dream sometimes. So Peter thought it was a dream, but then he went in verse uh, 17. He went 
and reported what had happened to the people who were gathered, the members of the church who were gathered to pray. That's a good thing to do, isn't it? It's good practice. to When the Lord does something for us, it's good practice to go and report it to each other among the church. Because it does several things for us. One thing it does for us, it keeps us humble. And it keeps us grateful when we're reminded. When, we, when we're sharing what the Lord has done for us, it humbles us. Like, why in the world would the Lord choose to do that for, to me? I'm not that important. And it keeps us grateful and thankful. It makes us thankful people. Another thing it does when we share what God's done for us, it encourages other people. Have you ever been encouraged when someone comes in and said, Folks, i got to tell you about this. I've been praying for this, and this was going on, and the Lord, this is what He did. And you can see the excitement. You can hear it in their voice. It encourages you, doesn't it? Another thing it does, it keeps us all a little bit more prayerful, doesn't it? Because we're reminded God does answer prayer. He does care about His people. He wants what's best for us. And so it helps that uh, when we report what uh, the Lord has done for us or to the church, But then Peter did more than that. He didn't just uh, report it to the church. He encouraged them to tell the rest of the church, which is a little different, isn't it? I can come and tell you what the Lord's done for me, and that that has a whole set of beneficial things, but then you can take it and tell other people that weren't here, and it encourages them as well. And so Peter is saying, "Go go tell the rest of the church. There's nothing wrong with us sharing what God has done for other people. Now, sometimes it might be sensitive enough that we recognize that the person might not want us to mention their name, but we don't have to. We can just say, I've got a friend who's a believer, and you wouldn't believe what the Lord did for them. It's just amazing. I've got to tell you about it. And so that's what Peter is telling them to do. Remember when we read, I read it to you, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 26. If one member suffer, all the members suffer with it. But that verse goes on, and it says, or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. Peter had been in prison, and they were suffering with him. Now Peter's been released, and they can all rejoice with him. And that's what Peter's trying to get across here. Go tell everybody, you see, the Lord, what the Lord did for me. Because I'm not going to be able to tell every, everybody that you might come in contact with. So he did that. He said, he reported what they had done. He encouraged them to share it. And then the last part of verse 17, I love this. Look at it again. And he departed. And went into another place. There is no mention of fanfare at all. They at first they didn't believe it was him. Then they did. They, they realized it was him. He shares what has happened. He encourages them to share. And then it says, and he left. He went somewhere else. It's a very simple statement, isn't it? He departed and went to another place or to another area. Peter wasn't going to live in the past. That was what the Lord had done for him was a great thing, but he wasn't going to keep living there because Peter said, I've got work to do. I've got to go someplace else and do my work. You, you folks, you can share with, share whatever, all of this had happened with whoever you want to. i got more work to do for the Lord. Isn't that good? So that was Peter's response, his reaction to the answer. So what about us? When we read a passage like this, what does it make us? What, what's our responsibility when we think about this? First, we need to recognize needs around us, don't we? We need to be very open, uh, paying attention to what's going around. Because some people, you know, there are some people that won't ever share a prayer request with you. They'll just suffer alone, and they won't ever mention it. And we need to be, uh, rec- be able to recognize when people around us are hurting. And then when we do that, when we recognize the need, we need to pray without ceasing for that need, don't we? Lord, we don't know why that person didn't share that need. 
But you know what that need is. You know why they didn't share it. And you know how to answer it. And if you can use me to be a part of blessing to them, please do so. But please just be a blessing to them. Meet the need that they have. Next thing we ought to do is we ought to expect the Lord to answer prayers the way He's promised that He would. And not sit around and being surprised when they happened. And we shouldn't be, as they were, astonished when the answers come because we should, we should know they will come. Because we serve a God who does answer prayers. And then we ought to share God's answers with the church and encourage them to do the same thing, to share what the Lord's done for them. And last, we need to do like Peter. We need to move on. The Lord has answered a prayer for us. We need to take that as our signal. It's time to move on and do something else for the Lord. And if we need prayer again, we'll, we'll go right back through the cycle all over again. I want to close with this, with this quote. And again, I don't know who the author was. I wish I did. I could tell you. Because the way it's written, I think I'd, I'd like to read more of what this person had to say. It says, The one concern of the devil is to keep Christians from praying. The one concern of the devil is to keep Christians from praying. He fears nothing from prayerless studies. He fears nothing from prayerless work. He fears nothing from prayerless religion. He laughs at our toil. He mocks at our wisdom. But he says he trembles when we pray. The devil trembles when God's people get together and they start praying for needs. I want to be a part of what makes him tremble. How about you? Uh, that's a, if that, that could be the goal of each of us. We're going to keep praying. We're going to pray without ceasing because we want the devil to tremble without ceasing. If he's doing that, maybe he'll leave some people alone. Wouldn't that be good? Let's pray. Father, thank you for allowing us to, again to look at this passage. It happened so long ago. Sometime in the, probably within the first decade or so of the church age, um, the church came under attack by the government. We've seen that happen in our lifetimes. Not, not so much maybe in our country, but in other parts of the world, we, we see governments that have taken active um, uh, measures of violence against Christians. But Lord, we saw in this passage how the church banded together and they prayed. They prayed without ceasing. They prayed day after day after day. And Father, we're thankful for the answer that He gave to them. Uh, Peter was delivered from that prison and he went on to minister for many years to come. And we're thankful for his ministry. We're thankful for the, the two books in the Scriptures that bear his name. And then what he teaches us through those. We pray, Lord, that, uh, that we might learn the examples from the folks in, in this passage. That we might recognize the needs among us. That we might pray for those needs. That we might pray for them without ceasing that we might pray expectantly, that we might pray in such a way that when you answer, we won't be astonished, but we'll be able to say we knew that we served a God who answers prayer. And then, Father, we pray that uh, we might share uh, the answers to prayer with other people, that we might encourage them to do the same thing. And then, Father, having done all that, may we move on in your service. Pray that we'd always be uh, those who would uh, follow your leading and serve you wherever you choose. Uh, go with us uh, through the remainder of the service as we enter into our prayer time, Father. We pray that you might hear our requests. Pray that you might lead us, Lord, to pray earnestly. And that you'd hear those prayers and act as only you can. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.